one of the most important things around having premium pricing or selling a luxury good or service is a whole shitload of confidence, okay? It's really almost impossible to create a brand and to put that kind of confidence into your marketing if you don't have it. And if you feel apologetic or nervous about your pricing, that is going to come across one way or another in the marketing and the promotion and the selling that you're doing. Welcome back to another episode of Joy, Color, Impact, and Dogs. I am really interested in your thoughts and opinions on this episode today because it seems to be one of those hot button topics that I hear a lot of people talking about and see people writing about, especially in social media, especially people who seem to be experts on the topic, but I feel like so many of them get it wrong, so wrong. <laughs> and. I think that comes from a situation where we all become these little echo chambers for each other, right? Where we get taught something or we see someone else teaching something, we adopt that, we repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, even if we don't have any real world experience in the topic. And I want to approach it today from the point of view of someone who A, builds brands for a living, <laughs> B, used to be very, very poor, like couldn't afford anything, and now have the disposable income I need to buy pretty much anything I want. And see someone who's in community on the internet with a lot of these conversations happening and wanting to sort of set the record straight. So those are my motivations for coming to this topic today. But also sort of being in community now with a lot of high net worth individuals, a lot of seven and eight figure entrepreneurs. My circle is a lot different than it would have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I first started my business. And that has massively changed my awareness and perception of wealth and what it means to be wealthy and my own journey going from deep, deep scarcity into feeling abundant and feeling like I genuinely don't want for anything. I'm very fortunate to absolutely love my life. And all of those things have changed my perception of what it means to be luxury, sell luxury, or build a premium brand. So let's start straight away with debunking a few myths that are quite popular about being a premium brand. The first one is really around pricing, okay? So everybody has a really strong identity around money, and I'm not a money mindset mentor or coach, but I have lots of friends who are, so definitely can refer you to a few people. But what's interesting for me around the perceptions and identities we all have around money is A, how that affects us as an entrepreneur and how we then create our pricing, and B, how it affects us as a consumer and how it impacts what we are willing to buy or spend. And I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs who have this strong desire to have a quote unquote premium brand, but are not people who actually purchase premium goods themselves. And that's a really interesting dichotomy because it is really hard to embody pricing that feels higher than what you would ever pay. So if you're in that position where you are a product or a service-based business and you're like, I need premium pricing and everyone keeps telling me I need to raise my price, but 
I don't know how because I, I just, it feels too much. I, I can't energetically extend myself into the world where anyone would pay that for what I do. Then the reality is you're probably not ready to increase your pricing because one of the most important things around having premium pricing or selling a luxury good or service is a whole shitload of confidence. Okay, it's really almost impossible to create a brand and to put that kind of confidence into your marketing if you don't have it. And if you feel apologetic or nervous about your pricing, that is going to come across one way or another in the marketing and the promotion and the selling that you're doing. So your first task isn't to just jack up your prices, although it, it could be very true that your prices need to go up. Maybe you raise them a little, but you need to work on your energetic state. You need to work on your money mindset. You need to understand pricing. And most importantly, you need to understand the value of what you do. And even more important than the value, it's the perceived value. Because ultimately, and I say this all the time, (laughs) what you sell is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And what someone's willing to pay for it is almost completely and entirely built around how well you build the perception of value. And value is a totally movable object, right? It is a make-believe concept that we are in control of, and branding has a huge, huge amount to do with perceived value, which is one of the main reasons that people invest in branding is because it gives that first impression, that first 8 to 10 seconds of, oh, this is good. This is high quality. I'm going to stick around. I want to see what we've got here because I can tell instantly all my spidey senses are aligned telling me this is a good thing. And that is perceived value. And perceived value is what dictates price. And if you are having massive scarcity, if you are not someone who invests in a premium or luxury way on a regular basis, that's going to be a really hard thing for you to project. So that's the place to start. Now, with that said, sometimes you do have to make scary leaps in your pricing. I will never, ever forget when I was a photographer, and it would have been probably around maybe 2008, where I put my prices up by like five times. It was a huge multiplier of my pricing going up, and it had been something I had been afraid to do, and I was terrified to do it. And I did it right in the middle of one client project that I was working on where I had already done the session, but he hadn't seen my pricing. And I presented him with the new pricing and I was so scared and he didn't buy anything. Sent it over to him. Nothing, nothing. Oh my gosh, I've scared him away with my prices. And what the reality was is he was busy. (laughs) He was busy. He loved his photos and he came back to me. He's like, oh, I'm just going to get some five by sevens because I don't know what to do. But instead of just being like, okay, (laughs) running away, tucking my tail, apologizing for having premium pricing, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I think he's probably just really busy. So I'm going to take one last stab at this. And I was like, hey, would it be helpful if I came over to your place and I walked you through the products and I measured your spaces and I helped you get this done and then we can get it, you know, super quick turnaround for you. And we can make sure that you get everything you want, but you don't have to overthink it. And he was like, yes, yes, I need that. Yes, please. When can we do it? Can we do it this week? Which brings me into the next major point that I want to make on this topic, which is understanding what people are paying for. And it's different 
for different people. But in my experience, it is kind of in the opposite direction of what most people perceive as luxury or premium. And it's this. There's like four primary things that people are paying for typically when they are willing to invest a lot more than the average price for something. One of those things, and this is certainly true for me, is experience. And often that experience is around time-saving, convenience, and ease. Not always. Sometimes it's like a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience or a a VIP experience or, you know, making you feel special or, you know, there's some experiential stuff that is not related to ease and convenience and time saving and anxiety reducing. But in my experience and what I see among my peers is that that is the number one thing that at least the wealthy women in my circle are paying for. They either want it fast, they want it easy, they want it without hassle or faff or overthinking or having to do too much work. And that is always something that sells. So to give you an example, pretty much every business has the opportunity for some sort of premium product that makes something easier or faster, right? So in my business right now, I sell this brand in a week product where I do an entire rebrand in seven days. And I cannot keep up with the demand for this. It's crazy (laughs) because the people that I'm working with are like, yes, I've had projects that have taken four months, six months, eight months, 12 months, and I do not have that kind of time or focus. I've also found they're really appealing among neurodivergent entrepreneurs because people who are ADD or possibly a little bit autistic, it suits their needs and the way they like to operate better than the traditional branding process, which is somehow supposed to be really painful and drawn out. I don't know. I don't know who taught that. I don't think we're ever taught that in school of like how to have the most long, drawn out, painful branding experience ever. But it doesn't need to be that way. And because of my color brand method and because of my use of psychology and archetypes and color psychology, I can do it very, very quickly and create an unbelievably powerful result fast. And that is a total game changer for the people that I'm working with. So it's a premium product. And in a regular service business, like let's say a a dog trainer, for example, I work with a lot of petpreneurs, being able to offer sessions in the early morning or the late evening, or as you already know, on the weekends, right? Because those are the sessions that book out first. Those are things you can charge a premium for. Being a doggy daycare and having before or after opening or closing drop-off hours. So if someone's running to the airport at 4 a.m., if someone's not getting home until 10 p.m., they can still get their dog. Those are the kinds of things that allow you to create a premium experience where people feel seen and understood and they really, really appreciate the fact that you're willing to create an experience for them that makes their life easier, that gives them what they need. That is so often what people are willing to pay for. Okay, the opposite of that, what I see most people believing that luxury is and believing that people are always paying for is prestige. 
So another one of the hallmarks of luxury is this idea of prestige, right? So when you're carrying around a designer handbag, wearing designer shoes, when you drive a really fancy car, you know, living in a fuck off big house and a fuck off amazing neighborhood. <laughs> a lot of this is driven by the need to be perceived as wealthy. And oftentimes this prestige trigger is coming from a place of scarcity, coming from a place of wanting to be perceived as wealthy, but the people who want to be perceived as wealthy the most are often not the wealthy people, right? They're people who want to be wealthy and aren't yet, or are living outside their means, or, you know, were poor when they were growing up and are desperate, you know, now to have made it and for everyone to know that they've made it. And that psychology is a really different psychology than the one we've just described around ease and convenience, right? The psychology of wanting to be perceived as wealthy and treated like you're wealthy is a very different trigger. And that's the one that most products and services seem to be trying to aim to. Everything has to be shiny. Everything has to be over the top. Everything has to be fancy. And there is a space for that. Absolutely, right? Luxury goods is a really good example. There is a space for like mega bling, especially if you're serving Starshine customers, right? Starshine loves a bit of bling, loves a bit of chrome, <laughs> loves a bit of fancy. But part of the reason Starshine loves these things is because they like, they have a, a really strong aesthetic, right? They're really drawn to quality things. And they also have a really strong draw towards beautiful spaces. So the environments that they're in are really important. They need to be minimal. They need to be beautiful. That's part of a Starshine thing. So, you know, some people are really drawn to that and others aren't. And you don't have to be shiny or fancy in order to be premium. And often, I think the thing that people don't realize is the wealthier you are, the more you don't want to be perceived as wealthy, right? The more you don't want to be targeted. You don't want people to see you walk in and think, oh, here we go. I'm going to make a big sale or, you know, this person's a snob or like whatever our perceptions are of how people think of us. Like the more wealthy someone is, in my experience, the more you just want to be treated normal, right? You just want to be like you want good customer service, but like you don't want to be targeted as a wealthy person. So. That's one of the big differences when you get into really high net worth, when you get into, you know, the day to day in a wealthy person's life. It's not about like buying the, the blingiest, fanciest, shiniest thing all the time. But that time and convenience thing is something most people continue to be willing to pay for pretty much all the time. So if you think about something like travel, right, and whether you're booking, you know, economy or business or first class, the business and first class experience is so much less about being perceived as wealthy and it's so much more about having legroom, being able to have a lie flat bed, having a nice glass of champagne when you arrive, having food on nice and nice cutlery and having space to do your work and having just an experience going through security and everywhere else that is more spacious, has less anxiety, is filled with more ease because you just don't have to deal with what everybody else is having to deal with in an airport, in an airplane, etc. 
less waiting in line, less being crammed in, not worrying about whether or not there's going to be space for your bag. These are all things that people are paying for when we fly in a higher cabin because it just makes, it takes an experience that could be so stressful and so exhausting and turns it into an experience that's actually very pleasant. <laughs> I do some of my best work on a business class flight because it feels like the best co-working space in the world. It's quiet. I get served food. I like often don't buy the internet, so I'm not distracted. Like it's amazing. I absolutely love it. And that is why I pay for it. And also the ability to arrive fresh instead of completely stressed and haggard. So that's, you know, something to keep in mind. The other two points I want to cover when it comes to premium and luxury are quality and values. And these have some crossover. Obviously, having things that are high quality is a, a value. And if you're a seaside personality type, this is going to be really important to you. You absolutely love and will not stand for anything less than really high quality stuff. You know, that's part of your personality type. But quality is definitely something people will pay for. Knowing that it was made well, knowing that it will last, knowing that it's full of craftsmen, time and energy and art, those are things that stand alone. And it's pretty straightforward. We know what high quality is. And most of us as entrepreneurs, we want to provide high quality goods. Most of us don't start out going like, how can I produce the cheapest, shittest thing I can and get the most money for it? Some people do, but most of us, and certainly the people listening to this podcast who have tremendous integrity, you want to make people happy. You want to make something good. You want to be proud of what you're putting out into the world. And for a lot of you, high quality will just be a no-brainer. But what you might not realize is that your high quality, you know, your bare minimum might be someone else's like 150%. So high quality is something worth charging a premium for. I remember like, you know, in, in several of the businesses I've had, my bare minimum would be at a pretty high level. And I'd look around and see my competitors and be like, okay, but they're not doing this and they're not doing this and they're not doing this. And I'm not charging for any of that extra stuff I'm doing. I just know when people walk out my door, they are going to be happy because I know I will bend over backwards to make sure that they are. A huge part of that is the quality of the product or service. And that is something you should charge for because it isn't a given and not everyone does it. And when you don't charge enough, people get suspicious that maybe it isn't high quality because they don't understand how you could be delivering something at such a high quality for such a low price. So don't forget that. And then value. Um, and when I say values, I mean like being eco-friendly or being, you know, uh, handmade or reused. The things that we believe in definitely drive purchase. And we're seeing this a lot with Gen Z and millennials. I'm technically like an elder millennial. I'm right on the edge of millennial. And when you look at the research, you see that these younger generations are very, very driven to make purchases based on their values. And this is why you see bigger companies right now trying to spin to keep, keep up with this you know, this value situation. We've had a really um, interesting situation recently with Budweiser where they worked with a trans influencer on a campaign and they saw a significant backlash from their traditional audience who wanted nothing to do with, you know, the whole trans topic or trans people. And the backlash was so significant that they had to really... Um, <laughs> they didn't have to. They did really backpedal 
on the position that they were taking and being, you know, for trans people, just like everybody else, because why wouldn't you be? And my guess is what happened there is they had fresh leadership and the leadership is like, the data is telling us that people want to know where we stand on issues like this. We need to take a stand. And they did. And what they weren't quite prepared for was the consequences of taking that stand. Now, there's people like me who out in the world were like, I've never bought Budweiser, but I'm going to now because this is amazing. I would never have expected this brand to take this position. And if they had held their position, people like me would be buying Budweiser to support them. But instead, they caused all this havoc. They saw the backlash from their traditional audience, you know, a lot of probably middle America, uh, very conservative values, heavily male audience. And they absolutely freaked out when they saw this and they wanted no part of it. So they started boycotting and it affected their profitability, right? It affected their growth. And they said, whoa, this is scary. We have to back off. And they backpedaled and they basically tried to unring the bell, which is the worst of both worlds <laughs> because they had already put it out there and the impact had been made in a negative way. And then they lost people like me who thought it was so great. You know, they fired the leadership, the fresh new leadership, and they backpedaled on the message. And now they're in no man's land of not standing for anything again and staying in that sort of you know, bro, bro, I think the marketing director called it frat house, <laughs> frat culture of a brand and marketing. And now they've, they've pissed everybody off, basically, because they didn't stick to their position around being pro-trans and, and, and doing what they said they were going to do. It was so clearly just a gimmick. So what's really important when you start to bring your values into your brand is that they are powerful. But you have to be willing to withstand the consequences because when you have an opinion, when you stand up for things, people will have feelings and they will probably express their feelings. And that's a good thing. But you have to be willing to stand your ground because if what you do is just flop and bend and backpedal all the time because people have feelings and opinions that maybe aren't so positive, you lose all the positive benefit of using your values and beliefs as part of your positioning. And so the sort of paradox here is if you're going to stand on something, you know, like being pro-trans, like the example I gave, or being, you know, pro-abortion or no-kill shelter or, um, you know, gay rights or like any sort of hot-button topic that is happening in your world that you feel really strongly about. You know, things like being carbon neutral and stuff like that, most people can agree on that. Most people are not going to have a strong, <laughs> not going to have a strong anti-opinion about that. So that's pretty safe. But I'm talking about some of the more social justice stuff. Racism in particular is a big one. Black Lives Matter. When you take a stand on this, there's going to be people who are unhappy and you have to be okay with that. But there will be other people who will buy from you just because you have taken this position. Okay, so not always immediately, but creating a premium product or premium experience that is deeply rooted in your value system. Maybe you have a one-for-one one where when someone buys something, you donate something else, or maybe they know that your brand is associated with this cause, and when they support your brand, you support this cause. 
in a looser way, or, you know, your values are deeply infused into your products because let's say you, you make a physical product and the places where that product is manufactured, you make sure that you are having as low impact as possible on the earth and making sure that people are paid fairly and in safe working environments. These things matter and oftentimes it means things cost more because part of cheap labor is cheaper manufacturing means you can keep the, the price down. But when you start actually paying people a fair wage, when you start caring about time off and working conditions, and you know, certainly we see in America, things that are made in America are less, are more expensive than things made overseas. That puts a premium price tag on your stuff compared to stuff that are, you know, that isn't doing those good things in the world that you are, but you also have to talk about them. <laughs> because people don't know why your thing is more expensive. If you don't say like, hey, we do this, this, and this, and our product is made like this, and our service supports this, then they are not able to make a conscious decision about paying more consciously for your thing rather than just going with the cheaper choice, okay? So prestige, experience, quality, and values. These are the four main pillars of what people are paying for when they are going to invest more in a premium or luxury product. And my recommendation to you is you try and tick at least two of these boxes. If you're gonna go for prestige, go for high quality as well, right? Or go for values as well, or time, ease, and experience, right? If you're gonna sell a really, really expensive car, make the buying experience very, very easy, right? Like, I don't wanna wait in line, I don't wanna sign papers, I want, like, Make sure that whatever you're doing goes all the way through the entire purchasing experience and try and tick at least two of these boxes, prestige, experience, quality, and values. And if you do that, then probably what you'll find is people will make that snap decision or make that purchasing decision based on one of them and then really appreciate the other one, right? Because if you pay something upfront that you think is premium and you have expectations based on that price point and then you find it's low quality, oh man, that's such a bummer. You're like, what am I actually paying for? Or if you buy something that gives you a great experience and you're paying more for that experience and then you find out actually your values aren't aligned, you're probably not gonna buy it again. If there's horrible working conditions and where the product is made, if you're having to sacrifice your values in order to have that great experience, oftentimes it doesn't quite work out. So if you can try and tick two of these boxes as you go to create your premium brand and as you create your luxury experiences, you'll be in really good shape. But what I want you to remember is it doesn't always have to be flashy. That prestige element does not always have to be there. That is one of the four. And my last example for this episode, and, and one that I find really powerful that really drove this point home for me, is in September of last year, I went to Necker Island. And this is the private island of Sir Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin, and someone I've really looked up to for my whole career. And this is one of the most luxurious, prestigious, hotels basically in the world. It's on a private island. There's only like 20 rooms. Richard Branson also lives there. So it's his own private home. And from the second you get there, you really do feel like you're at home. 
I literally did not put shoes on for five days. <laughs> I did not wear shoes. I was staring, um, I was staying in the great house, which is the main house. And like, I never put shoes on. I would rock up for breakfast. I would walk outside. I would do some meditating on the deck. I would help myself to anything at any time because it's all completely all inclusive. You can go do water sports, go water skiing, go surfing. Like you can go out on a sailboat. Like pretty much everything there is there for the taking. You want anything to eat. You want anything to drink. They will make it. They will bring it. They will serve it to you anywhere on the island. It is an incredible experience. And what it really opened up my eyes to was that feeling of abundance. And what I realized when I was there is I actually didn't really want a whole lot. I hardly drank much alcohol. I never ordered anything ridiculous from the kitchen, even though I could have at any time. I did some of the activities and I passed on others. And what I found was so beautiful and luxurious about being there was A, knowing that everything was available and B, feeling so comfortable. Because my kind of luxury is comfortable. I want that experience. I want ease. I want freedom. I want to feel no anxiety, no stress. I want things, I want to be dropped off at my door. I don't want to have to carry my bags, like not in a snobby way, but just in a, I don't want to work. <laughs> you know, my kind of luxury is actually pretty chill. I'm not comfortable in environments that are too glossy or too shiny or too fancy, or you have to get dressed up to go to dinner, or you have to be wearing really expensive shoes, or you have to tip a lot, everyone you see all the time. I find those experiences stressful. But this, the Necker experience, was my version of luxury. It was like being in someone's home in a very beautiful place with anything you could ever want available to you at any time, including swimming in the ocean or saying hi to a giant tortoise or going to pet a lemur. <laughs> like, you know, it was an incredible, incredible experience, but it was so rooted in the beauty of nature and in ease and in comfort and familiarity. And that I found really profound in terms of kind of solidifying everything I've talked about today in terms of what luxury is and can be. So I want to invite you to redefine what premium and what luxury could mean to you and to your brand and how you exemplify that and how you bring it to life and how you give your clients and customers a premium or luxury experience if that's what you want to do not everybody has to sell a premium product and understand that prestige does not have to be part of it it does not have to be slick or shiny you do not have to you know wear high heels or clink champagne to count as premium in fact i would say it can almost be way more effective to have it be a lot more low-key than that, but to make the experience fantastic. And when it comes to pricing, if you are trying to raise your pricing and get it to a level that's much higher than what it is now, start investing in premium goods and premium experiences. If you're a photographer and you want to double your prices, go hire a photographer at the prices that you want to charge. Try it out. <laughs> See what it's like. See what the experience is like. See what you get. See what happens when you do that, because that will energetically help you up level to the experience of holding that pricing and being comfortable. If you're a coach and you want to charge, you know, twice what you're charging for a VIP day or 10 times what you're charging for an hour, go hire a coach at that level and understand what that experience is like. 
and really start to anchor yourself in the value of money and the value of time and being able to energetically rise to that perceived value that you need to create in order for people to be comfortable handing those prices over to you. Because the people are there. The problem is not not enough people, not enough clients. The problem is how do we create that perceived value? How do we have the confidence and how do we have the clarity around what luxury means to us and to our customers to provide what they're looking for and leave them super happy? Okay, so I look forward to hearing what you think about this episode, what luxury means to you. You can reach out on Instagram at Jane Nicole Smith, hit me in the DMs, or send us an email, team at janenicolesmith.com. I'd love to hear what the luxury experience has been like for you as an entrepreneur and as a consumer. Let us know. And you know, if you have time and you're loving this podcast, hit subscribe and, you know, leave us a review if that feels good. See you next time.